This is Agents Influence Podcast. The number one reason that audits wind up incorrect is that employers don't know how to keep the records the auditor needs. And so, yes, the auditor def- auditors definitely make mistakes, but the first line of defense in preventing audit mistakes is to make sure that your client has all of the records exactly the way the auditor needs. I'm Jason Cass, and we're going to help you think differently, change your agency, change your finances, change your family, and in the end, we're going to change an industry. Let's go. All right, all right, all right, you loyal listeners. Welcome to another episode of Agents Influence Conversations with Jason Cass. Today I'm here with Mr. Kevin Ring from the WorkComp uh, Insurance Professionals. I think I may be saying that correct. And all I just know is basically um, the house that houses the geniuses of work comp. Now, there's a lot of you work comp geniuses out there. Probably some of you started your education right here with Mr. Kevin Ring and also your other business partner. Um, to actually, you have a, a pretty good organization now with many people that can help you in different areas. Everybody just thinks it's Kevin, but Kevin has developed a great team. The reason why, loyal listeners, we brought Kevin on today is not to sit here and just clout over work comp um, and on who he is. What it is, is we want you to know and to think about things. I told Kevin, when we get on here, I said, I want to deliver to the loyal listeners red meat, things that they need to know, things that they want to know. And to be honest with you, if you really don't know work comp much, it's actually really freaking interesting. It really is an interesting line of business, and they've created a line around it. Now, to give to set up real quick, uh, Kevin, um, the the as you guys know, I got deep into heavy end commercial um, in around 2018. I was one of the first people that of David Carruthers and his killing commercial. Um, and that really drove me into wanting to know more, where I ran into Charles Speck who really gave me a lot of a different, um, he added on to what David had taught me, taught me the same things David had taught me, but he also taught me a lot of things that, that were new. So I learned a lot there. But when I realized like, okay, now I know how to sell this stuff. Now I know how to niche. Now I know how to prospect. I, I said to um, Travis, my business partner, as you all know, and I said, we got to get deeper into work comp now. Now, now it's about driving. Now it's not being about being a mile wide, an inch deep. We need to go a mile deep and an inch wide. And I said, we really need to concentrate. So where did we think about reaching out to Mr. Kevin Ring? So Kevin and I have now, um, I've been a member of his uh, group that he has now for the last, it's right out a year, maybe a tad under a year. Um, and I think if you talk to Travis, if you talk to any of my producers, they would say, out of all the expenses we have, this is not an expense. This is an investment in making sure that we can do better because we've been taught. But also, Kevin, we talk once or twice a month where we send you over a thing and say, Kevin, tell us what your what the down low is on this. And you've really helped us a lot. So I'm sorry to open up that way, but I wanted them to know our relationship, Mr. Kevin Ring. Welcome to the podcast, buddy. Well, it's great to be here, Jason. I want to give uh, credit where credit's due. My uh, my now business partner, Preston Diamond, is the one responsible for 
putting together the Preston team. Knight. And uh, and many of your listeners might know Preston. Some of them might be a little younger than um, than when Preston was out on the the road in the 80s and 90s uh, a ton. Uh, but yeah, Press Diamond put the the team together and, you know, it's exciting to work with you and, you know, other agents helping them untangle the complexities of workers' comp. Yeah, and it is complex because there's so much control that the agent and the client can, um, can, can, I can't think of the word that there's things that they can control and they can do in order to make the rate worse or better. Um, yeah, there, and there's I no line much of insurance. Yeah. I mean, there's no line of insurance where the insured has more control over what they pay than workers comp without mm-hmm. changing the check. The insurance company is going to write when you suffer a disaster, you know, you want a lower premium, take lower limits, take a higher deductible. Well, workers comp, uh, isn't that way. And that's the reason that you know, we've been working with agents for north of 20 years now, helping them lead with workers' comp. Sometimes I talk with agents and they think that you know we're trying to teach people to be workers' comp only agents. And there are a lot of reasons why very, very few people over our 20 years have taken that route. It's happened, uh, but it's leading with the workers' comp because you know everybody says they don't want to sell on price. They have these other things they do, but in workers' comp, it is much, much easier to prove that you are a better choice than your competition because you can help them it is. You know, solve a, you know, generally for most businesses our folks want to work with, Workers' comp is the second biggest insurance check that employer writes behind employee benefits. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right on that PNC side. Now, here's the thing, Kevin. Let's straight geek out for a little bit. I'm a I love history. I love history of insurance, and I think it's important to realize why we have workers' comp. So as we move in into the 1900s, we move in from an agriculture into a manufacturing society, industrialized. And so we start having these people who are coming from out, uh, living in the city, moving into the city, but now they're working for these manufacturers, these big, large shops, and they're getting hurt. And they really have no recourse. They're having to go get lawyers to turn around and sue the business. And the business is saying, hey, they're getting out of it. There's no one making safeguards for these business, for these employees to be better. And, and we're creating this mess legally that around 1908, 1910, 1916, I'm pretty damn close in there. There was something uh, along the lines of created that kind of used uh, getting out of common law more to tort reform was the thought that was and i this was interesting to me when i when i've read this is that the government stepped in and said here's the deal if there's a thing called a work comp policy as long as the employer has one the employee cannot sue the employer but also the employer is recognizing that they're 100% at fault if they did it on company time so we just don't have this this thing but as long as there's a work comp policy for in place now, really think about that if you didn't know that, uh, loyal listener, because that kind of brings us to where we are now, right? So it's still the same concept, but it's maximizing what was created for the better rate of the client. What do you what do you say to that, Kevin? Anything you can add? No, I mean you're exactly right. The first workers' comp law that withheld constitutional scrutiny uh, was passed in Wisconsin in 1911. I think there was one earlier oh, in another state close. that um, close. that that got 
they got shot down and then they they changed it up and it came in behind Wisconsin. But yeah, I mean, that's the fundamental concept of workers' comp. What they talk about is the grand bargain, this idea that uh, employees don't have an opportunity to you know, dive into the employer's wallet, but in exchange for that protection, the employer, you know, there's no consideration of fault. Uh, and there are certainly some, you know, complexities inside of that from state to state and how they handle, you know, some kind of fringy claims. But, you know, fundamentally, I have a book on my desk, which is the North Carolina workers' comp law from sometime in the 1930s. And it's remarkable how similar it is. Now, of course, over time, it's been, you know, refined and, and progress has happened. But, you know, fundamentally at its core, you know, workers' comp is what it set out to be over a century ago. Mm-hmm. It really truly is. And and so where to elaborate on that is I try to explain to my insureds that workers' comp is not there for the employee. Workers' comp is there to protect you because that's how the great bargain was. As long as you have it in place, you can't be sued. But in the in the meantime, the company said, but if you have to have that, we can actually give you discounts or change your rate based on how good of a person or a manager you are. Now that you all have to have workers comp, we have to have some distinguishing factor of who's actually managing the company well and who's not based on the injuries that are occurring. Now that brings into where agents like you and Preston can now look and say, wait a minute, this is a separator. This is something we can use to separate ourselves. And and that brings us uh, where we are now, right? Right. And I don't know exactly when the concept of experience rating was added into workers' compensation. I've yeah, read really I've read some things from probably 20 years after that first law was passed, where certainly the actuaries were talking about it, but uh, there were a great many states that were monopolistic for decades and decades. There was a wave, I feel like I've heard it was in the the 70s and 80s, where more of them went to be voluntary market states, and now we're in a position where there's only four monopolistics left. But what they did from the outset, uh, and you know, this follows from how other types of insurance have worked for way longer is, you know, let's identify, you know, who's higher risk and who's lower risk, you know, the way that fire underwriters, you know, do and and certainly did 100 plus years ago, you know, mm-hmm. flooding all the other types of insurance. And well, what's the largely the separator about what's riskier and not is what are you doing? You know, if you're a clerical office, that's obviously a very different thing than, you know, if you're you're a manufacturer. Uh, and so they they started by splitting all of that up. And still today, I would argue that that idea of where your business is classified is probably one of the least understood. And and it's a it's a fantastic opportunity for agents who really know how it works, because all of that then filters into the premium audit. Mm-hmm. Audits. Audits, audits, audits. You talk about it all the time, Kevin. It is the separator. It really truly is because the auditor doesn't know what the hell they're doing. Most of the time, the agent doesn't understand what the auditor did and didn't know what they did. You know one, Kevin? This is this is the God's honest truth. Um, loyal listeners, me and my producers are going through their course. Uh, it's a 12-step thing. I think we're on number nine. 
And one of the things that 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 you that you talk about when it comes to these audits happens to be, um, oh, son of a gun. I was just thinking about something. I'm always losing my train of thought. I think I'm going to get some supplemental stuff for my brain. Um, but uh, no, I was I was just um, oh, the. um Oh gosh, cannot remember. I apologize, loyal listeners. Got too much. Kevin's helped us out with too many different things that we've learned along through these classes, and I can't remember exactly which one. Oh, that's what it was. The overtime pay. Right. I'm telling you what, Kevin. Kevin, it's been amazing. I I think our our numbers are high right now because we've just really been looking, but we've got at least of the last eight or nine we've looked at, four or five of them, we're adding it in. The auditor is adding in, and if we go back and you look at your emails, you'll even see when I started discovering this because I sent you on an email because I remember thinking when we learned in the class that anything over that 40% now, now we're going to start taking – um, whatever it is, half or whatever. I can't. Well, yeah. Remember what so you once told me once they start getting once they start getting paid overtime in every state except for Pennsylvania, uh, the halftime portion of overtime is excluded from the audit. Should be which only would make sense that which only would make sense that it is if it's on true what it was before, and and what's amazing is 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 loyal listeners. It, most of you guys have QuickBooks or they do your clients do have them print out overtime hours, and then you can go down and look at the payroll for that, and then go and look at the auditor. We're finding out four or five times they just take that whatever that amount is and they stick it right in there. Now, most places aren't paying a lot in hourly wage, but it's a way, as you're saying, Kevin, that you can separate yourself even if you're like, hey, this place, this auditor's off by $4,000 in payroll, right, because of this. It's like, well, no one else pointed that out, right? That's right. the separator that we're finding, Kevin. Yeah, and and we know from our experience and working with agents that more than 75% of audits are incorrect. Now, some of those things that are incorrect might be incredibly minor. Some of them might be you know, really big. But the number one reason that audits wind up incorrect is that employers don't know how to keep the records the auditor needs. Or in the case of overtime, you know, certainly no business that you work with, Jason, isn't keeping records of their overtime. They're too concerned about wage and hour compliance. So they have it. Mm -hmm. But if you give the auditor paperwork and it doesn't include overtime, all it has is gross pay, they have no way to break it out. And That's so, true. yes, That's the auditor def auditors definitely make mistakes. But the first line of defense in preventing audit mistakes is to make sure that your client has all of the records exactly the way the auditor needs. And, mm -hmm. you know, with with COVID, we saw virtually all premium audits for a period of time go electronic in some form. Uh, and even now that auditors are back out on the road, my general sense is that the threshold that insurance companies are going to have for who gets an in-person audit every year is probably going to be higher than it was pre-COVID because they've they figured out they can make it happen. Well, the challenge right. with those remote audits is is if you have an auditor and he just drove 45 minutes to get to your office and they ask a question and you're like, well, hang on, like let me see if I can find that, you know, they don't want to have to come back. So they're going to be a little bit more willing to hang out. If you're doing an audit on Zoom, you know, and they either don't ask or 
you know, they ask and you're like, okay, well, I'll get that. And they're like, well, just email it to me. Well, what if that doesn't happen? What if it doesn't, you know, work for them? It just opens mm-hmm. up the the opportunities for, for things to be incorrect. And there's more than a dozen other different items of money or substitutes for money you might give your employees that you don't have to pay workers' comp on. And that's before we even talk about is your business classified correctly? Are the individual employees inside the business classified correctly within the proper classifications for your business? And, you know, for most employers, I mean, what we've seen is, is A, employers only complain about their audit if they got a bill they weren't expecting. I've true that man. I've I've spent the last year asking every group of agents that I talk to, you know, how many of you have gotten uh, a call from a client that wants to dispute their audit and that client re- had received a return premium. And I've had one person tell me it happened one time. And it just doesn't happen. Well, if and when a business has shrunk some, uh, and maybe they get a return premium, sometimes agents will feel like, oh, well, that's not an opportunity. Well, 75% of audits are wrong. It doesn't matter if it's additional premium or return premium. So don't think that that's a, a not an opportunity. It just means they haven't had an opportunity to get upset about it yet. But what most agents do when they get that call from, from the angry insured is they call or they email the auditor. The auditor says, I did this for this reason. And the agent is like, it either just turns around and says to the client, well, they, they said it's right. There's nothing we can do. Or they go back and they argue fairness. Well, it's not really fair that you did it that way. And we've seen a lot of this over the last 18 True. months where audits have been, seem to be becoming more and more aggressive and digging around for things. But you really want to avoid having to argue that something's unfair. It's much, more powerful to be able to argue that something is against the rules, but you have to know what the rules are first. Hello, loyal listeners. Hey, are you a local agent struggling to find markets for your client? Maybe you, maybe not. Look no further than Nation Brokerage Solutions. With over 200 carriers, their comprehensive options give you what you need for your customers' ever-changing needs. With NBS, as they say it in the cool world, you can confidently offer a wide range of options to better support your customers and grow your business, A.K. agency. Don't settle for less. Do more with NBS. For more information about Nationwide Brokerage Solutions, visit nbsbrokerage.com. Cast certified. Very true. Very, very true. Another piece of red meat is that if we keep, um, when a work comp is paid out um, and something is paid and you see it on the loss runs or whatever, you're going to see medical and you're going to see indemnities. Something that is still the great unknown, which blows my mind, but I have to admit, I didn't know about it more than six, seven years ago. Um, and I've been doing this for 22 years was the fact that if somebody keeps um, a claim medical only, in not all states, but most states, it can be discounted 70%. And so I want you to talk more about that because if you don't know anything about workers' comp, you can get somebody's workers' comp loss runs and look and do this simple thing and be able to see 
the effects of what this can do for your client. Go ahead, Kevin, explain some of that. Give us some of that meat, dog. Yeah, so this this is the rule in, I want to say, 32, 33 states. Um, uh, all of those states are either governed by NCCI or an independent bureau like North Carolina or, Indi- or Indiana that you know partners with NCCI. So it doesn't, doesn't apply in every state. But in those states... Right. Just like you said, if a claim is medical only, so if you're looking at a mod worksheet, you want to identify the med only claims, you're going to look for injury code six. Uh, that means there was no money either paid or reserved for any sort of lost wage payment. Either they missed too much time and they were getting the two thirds of their average weekly wage, or they got a, a disability percentage settlement at the end of the, the end of the claim. Uh, what I would look for more aggressively on those mod worksheets are injury code five claims that are under $10,000. And injury code five stands for permanent partial disability. So this is someone that was so injured that they could not work for some period of time. And then they came back to work and they came back 100%. And we target those injury code five claims because the the most common other injury code is going to be injury code nine. Uh, in some states, nine is split out into three or four, three and four. But they mean the same thing, which is permanent partial disability. Uh, so this is a lot of times it's when surgery is required. Like I had a friend that had rotator cuff surgery and he got back about 90% of his range of motion when he was all through physical therapy. You get you get a check for that loss of function as part of your workers' comp claim. So we're not really targeting the nines, uh, but the fives, if it's under $10,000, think about an injury you may have had or a friend. It doesn't matter if it was workers' comp. It could have just as easily been you know, a broken finger playing basketball. But think about how quickly those numbers, just for your doctor bills, how quickly they crept up towards $10,000. It doesn't take a severe injury to have $10,000 in medical bills. Mm -hmm. So when I look at something under $10,000 that had lost wage payments, I refuse to believe. Uh, I'm, I'm always willing to be convinced in certain specific circumstances, but by default, my belief is that person could have been back to work doing something, you know, so then we get into the conversation about recovery at work, but that's what Jason brought up here with the ERA, especially this discount for claims being met only is it's sometimes a hard conversation to have with an employer. They've had people talk to them about return to work forever. And it's very easy for an employer to say, well, you know, if I do that, I'm just going to make the insurance company more money. Uh, I don't want someone back that can't do their full job. And, you know, I get all of that. But when you have this huge incentive of discounting injuries in this way, then you can start to tie their actions back to effectively putting money back in their pocket. Um, mm-hmm. and, and there are lots of important reasons, even in states that don't have this discount, to bring people back to work as quickly as possible. But it is a powerful incentive for businesses that operate in those states. And what I'm taught by the work comp professionals is that we have to rename it from return to work to be recovery at work. 
And I love when I tell business owners that, Kevin, because you see a little light go on in their brain. I say somehow we've created in society that if someone gets hurt, that they go home. And, 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 and that's what we have to change. And that's the core of the mentality, what we have to change here at the business. And maybe it's already that way here at the business, but I want us to look at it that way when we have an injury. And so all of the stuff that we have, our, our, um, recovery at work workflow, like how mm-hmm. they go through some of the stuff, um, we, we renamed it all Reco- return to work. It's all recovery at work. All the stuff that we used to, that we used to use with, uh, that we use for mod advisor, um, to, to use our mods. So, uh, by the way, if you want to look at mods and you're like, Hey, I want to get more into mods. You need to talk to Kevin. You need to get out, go out there to, what is it? The work comp professionals. What is your website? The the website is workcompprofessionals.com. That's it. That's it. That's it. Work comp professionals. That's just where I, uh, every place I go, it's saved in my uh, computer and, and we're not getting off here, but I, I, I do want to start wrapping it up. And I, and I love, the fact of that, if you want to get more into this, Mod Advisor is something that you can use that can help you with these. Um, with these, what we do is we get the mod sheet worksheets, we get the loss runs, we give them to our VE, our virtual employee. They load them into Mod Advisor, and then the agents go through it and really analyze some of that stuff. Which most of that has been taught not through Mod Advisor, but Kevin, you've kind of helped us understand how to look at those and use those to our advantage, as you said, to be able to to pull out every 0.1 or 0.5 or 0.6 and be able to tie it back to a loss and say, hey, if this would have been done differently, this could have been your mod. Look at the difference of this cost, right? So I just really, really love it, man, that you guys are teaching that shit. I I appreciate it. And yeah, Mod Advisor is a great tool to analyze the mod. Obviously, there are other tools on the market mm-hmm. to do the mm-hmm. same thing. But I would I would caution your listeners, uh, especially not Mod Advisor doesn't really suffer from this problem, but some other solutions do. They'll run you a 50-page report that's full of all sorts of fancy graphs and, and things. But what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. Um, and and I had someone tell me once that they'd, they'd chosen not to work with us because they had this was before Mod Advisor was probably a tinkle in twa- Todd's eye, uh, twinkle in Todd's eye. But, um, you know, he said, well, we have this other tool and we think we're just going to do that. And I said, well, that's that's kind of like me telling you that, you know, I bought a set of surgical tools on Amazon, so I don't need to go to medical school. The The software will do the math and it can produce useful results. But when you when you have... When you have these graphs and charts, let's say their mod is really bad. You can show them a graph showing them their mod is bad. You can even show them how good it can be by showing them their lowest possible mod. But what are you going to do about it? You know, it's great for them to know. And so you can diagnose the problem. But if you don't know how to treat it, uh, and, you know, certainly you can... You know, there's lots of ways to learn that information, uh, but don't just rely on the software because the software just shows you a picture of of where they're at. And if you want to get deeper into it, like Jason was saying, you can show them a little bit more about where they could have been if if some things had been different. But before you take that out and tell them all these things, you need to have a plan to improve it. And how that, how you process. can help them do that. Right. 
Right. That's what you guys call it. And that's, that's what we've learned. You know what we tell Kevin? Uh, we tell people that just, we tell them that this stuff, not as just sayings, but we want them to start changing the way that they're thinking about this, the, these, these problems. And we tell them that no matter what you do, you can be super safe. I mean, you can have the safeguards, you can have all the policies and procedures, you could have a safety and uh, a committee, you can do all the stuff. And as Forrest Gump said, shit still happens, right? <laughs> I use that same thing every time. And I say, so it's when that happens, what are we going to do now? That's the important part. That's why we're here sitting here with the 1.41 mod. That's why we're here right now is, is, is what's going to happen here. Oh, well, Jason, we already have that. I mean, we've got this return to work po policy and da, 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 da. And I'm like, great. Just let's take five seconds, five minutes here. Can you explain to me? I'm an employee. I get injured. What do I do? What happens? <sighs> Every time, dude, they're like, well, um, they, they call Susan, right? Susan and, uh, and then Susan we know the doctor they go to, you know, so, and they, they just go through this thing and you can tell they do have something. They've thought about it somewhere, which only means that every time someone gets hurt, they try to do the same thing and they don't really know what they're doing in the first place. And then you come back in and you, a lot of times though, agents right there will try to explain to them all the stuff they do. Uh, we back out, we analyze, then we come back in and help them understand that. But a lot of them don't have a return. They just have heard this word. Their HR person says they have this manual that says return to work that they got at a seminar and they think they have it. Am I, uh, that's, am I right, Kevin? I mean, you've seen this stuff longer than me. I mean, if... If a business doesn't, most businesses, most good businesses work on some sort of process, you know, especially when you start talking about manufacturing, construction, you know, if you try putting the roof on before you have the rafters up, it's not going to work especially well. And so businesses run on process and workers comp can be a process. And sometimes you know, a bit, it, you know, we've all been guilty of this, you know, we were doing things really well and then it was going so well, we just stopped doing it. But, you know, the conversation you're talking about, it's an incredibly powerful question to ask when someone gets injured here, what happens? Because I think the answer sometimes is going to be this kind of stammering. Well, uh, well, and sometimes it's going to be, well, we tell them to go to the doctor and they come back when they're better. And if an employer gives you a detailed answer, that is right spot on, then, you know, stand up and clap for them, you know, but that's very, that's very rare. And, you know, some employers fortunately have very few injuries and it's, it's really one of the harder situations to remediate. If they're having one injury a year or one injury every couple of years, you know, it's hard to keep a process moving when you never use it. Um, but, mm -hmm. you know, having that, process? Where are they going to go to the doctor? Because in almost all states, you can at least kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. This is the doctor you should go to, even if you cannot tell them right. you must go right. to this doctor. And then what's that doctor going to do? Because let me tell you, if you allow them to go to their personal doctor, the it is possible, you know, some, a lot of employees flow through workers comp very smoothly because they never they never try and make it go sideways. But, you know, someone walks into their personal doctor's office and the doctor says, oh, yeah, you've strained your back 
What do you do at work? Oh, I pick up 50 pound bags of sand all day. Well, you're not going to be able to pick up a 50 pound bag of sand for at least three weeks. So here's a follow-up visit in three weeks and an out of work note for three weeks. And they just walked out of that first doctor's appointment and we go back to that 70% discount for med only claims. There may be an hour out from their initial injury and you already have an indemnity claim because while an employee can theoretically of their own accord go against doctor's orders and go back to work, the employer certainly can't require them to. And it is very rare, you know, so now, Mm -hmm you know, the wrong doctor, you can have all this other stuff in place. You can have the greatest return to work program in the history of the universe. But if the doctor is signing them out of work for three weeks, every time they get hurt, then your results are going to be extremely limited. Yeah, it is. It really truly is. Kevin, I greatly appreciate you joining us here. Any last thing you want to wrap up and say uh, about your organization, you, anything to loyal listeners? Well, I, I appreciate it again, Jason. It's great having your agency as part of the community, and I appreciate mm-hmm. the opportunity to be on the podcast. I, I would encourage folks to uh, check out workcompprofessionals.com. You can also just Google Institute of Work Comp Professionals. Uh, our number is 828-274-0959. Uh, we talked about this 70% discount for med-only claims. I've got a, a sheet with all the states on it, whether or not they have that rule. So if anybody wants to reach out and get a copy of that, they're welcome to. They can uh, shoot me an email. It's kevin at iwcpro.com. So I think that's about it. I mean, we we work with agents all over the country and we you know, train, certify, and and mentor them. And that's the big part that I, I think maybe we didn't talk about, although you touched on it, is you've gone through the course and then folks that are members of the Institute have access to continue to come back to us with questions and we continue to help them, you know, continue to educate. We've been, we've done some stuff recently about the big changes that are coming to the mod uh, in New York starting in October you know, we become your workers' comp help desk, which is what we've helped you with on several audit issues. Yeah, that is true. And I did not, for the, they have that certified work comp advisor course. You guys have tons of other stuff. You guys, you do, you have the, um, you have the, uh, uh, the, uh, the, the, the live clout courses or the live classes. Right. Um, the certified work comp got- advisor is taught live in person. Uh, as, as well as live via Zoom. And there's the on-demand version of the course that Jason mentioned. When that course mm-hmm. is designed for producers, then we have the Certified Work Comp Specialist Program, which is our program for you know account managers, account executives, whatever you call the back office folks that really make things happen in an agency to get them up to speed on the process that's available on demand. Uh, and then we have the Master Work Comp Advisor for folks that really want to get deeper into to technical comp, uh, we teach that class both live in person and uh, via Zoom, but only only live. Just whether or not you want to travel or uh, or do it on Zoom. That shit's straight geeky shit. Like, I mean, you gotta, you know, you you gotta be live in person talking. That's some. Oh yeah, I, mean, I haven't been loyal listeners, but I can only imagine. Uh, yeah, it's case studies. It's working directly. From the manual where the CWCA, it doesn't matter what state you're in, 
the process is the process. And the masters, we teach the masters separately for NCCI, for California, for Pennsylvania, because we're really digging into the nooks and crannies. And when you get that deep into it, it's really important to kind of slice it up by by jurisdiction. Loyal listeners, uh, appreciate you, Kevin. Loyal listeners, that was just a leg. That was just a leg of the cow. There's a lot more red meat to be had. You just got to pick up the phone, call Kevin. Uh, Kevin, you hit us in an email. I sent it over to my producers this morning or yesterday morning, and you gave us a list of things that like every we should be doing. I can't remember when we're seeing every client and the things we should be asking them. And my producers were like going ape shit about it when I was leaving yesterday. So I know it was good stuff. Greatly appreciate you. Greatly appreciate being part of the community. Loyal listeners, I do what I do because I do it for you. I pay to be a part of Charles Speck. I pay to be a part of David Carruthers. I pay to be a part of Kevin Ring and his community and all they do. And the reason I'm telling you that is, is I can't get better unless I have people like Kevin who straight geek out in this shit <laughs> and are being able to tell me things that I just have never thought about. And it helps me, especially when you can ask those questions. So what it allows you to do is it allows the, the education that he's given me, allows me to tell my client, what we're going to do is we're going to pull back the curtain. We're going to start to show you things that maybe other people haven't told you. And I don't know why they haven't done it for the last 20 to 25 years, but that's not how we do it in our agency. And we're going to talk about those things and being able to have the education and knowing the things that, I mean, like I said, this is just a leg of the cow, Kevin. There's so much other red meat and stuff that you can be bringing up and showing your customers that actually makes you a risk advisor and a valuable person to them. And remember, loyal listeners, you're valuable to me. I do what I do because I do it for you. Tell me your thoughts and tell me your ideas, and I'm going to tell the world what you have to say. This has been Jason Cass. He's Kevin Ring, and we are out. Hey, agents, listen to this. Listen to this. What are we terrible at? Think of it. Think of it. Really? We're, we're terrible at training, right? We're not very good at hiring. We're not very good, terrible at firing, actually. Uh, terrible at creating process and some workflows. Terrible at technology and implementing that technology and even knowing what type of technology we want. And the list goes on and on. Now, listen, I'm an agency owner. And I, you know how it is to, to fix a problem. The first thing you got to do is you got to admit you have a problem. Here's what you do. Go to virtualintel.com. Check out what we do because we do all those bad things that you can't do. Really? And you may do one or two of them well. Good for you if you can do them all. Just want you to know you're in the minority. But if you can't do any of them good or you don't even want to do them anymore because it just takes too much mental power, then good for you for realizing that and give us a call. I'm telling you, virtual intelligence, that's what we do. And where we specialize in high quality VEs, not virtual assistants. Look it up. Go to ChatGPT. Put in what's the difference between a virtual assistant and a virtual employee. Enough said. I don't have enough time to go on and on about all the differences on this 60 second commercial, but you've got time to search it and look at it. That's what we do. We deliver high quality VEs. We mix the technology with it. We train them on the technology, give them and the technology to you and you're off to the races. I'm not joking with you. You can call my agency at any time, ask for Lordland. And we do ask her, say, how fast are you able to do quotes? I've actually got a couple videos of it. That's right. We can do five to 10 carriers in one quote in three to seven minutes. 
So you give me an auto quote, I can do five to 10 carriers in three to seven minutes. How are we doing it? We're doing it through the technology of virtual intelligence. Give us a call, check us out. You can ask for me personally, I'll do the demo for you. Who are they? Cast Certified.